Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Shalom. I'll speak in English. Thank you, Musos. That was great. Beautiful music. It is a real pleasure to be back at the Granary. For some of you who only come here on Sundays, you've never seen me. But over many years, I've been coming and visiting wherever that the building was in those days uh, and sharing this message while we ate together. So it's really a pleasure to be here on a Sunday morning. We're going to talk today about Christ in the Passover. And you've got a brochure that'll help you as I give you Hebrew words and so it's not just decoration on your table, but I'm going to tell you that Christ in the Passover may make perfect sense to each one of you. But as Bev told you, I grew up an Orthodox Jew in Kansas City in the middle of the U.S. That means Christ was for you, the Gentiles. Passover was for us, the Jews. They didn't go together. But by the end of this morning, if you're not already convinced, I pray you will be convinced that Christ, the Passover, Jews and Jesus dovetail wonderfully. We don't use the term piggyback, you'll understand. <clears throat> we'll talk about how Jewish people celebrate the Passover. We'll talk about how Jesus celebrated the Passover and instituted Holy Communion, which we're gonna take later in the service so that we'll remember him. We're gonna be talking a lot, a lot of stuff. I hope you have a Bible. If not, it's gonna be on the screen. But please hear me, bring a Bible. We're gonna look at Exodus chapter 12. Why, Bob? I've got it on my phone. Okay, use your phone, that's cool. But you know what a nonverbal this is that I'm using it? To your kids, to your friends whom you brought? Oh, you didn't bring anybody. Okay, so next time when you come, you bring somebody. Um, but, but this is a nonverbal. Even if you just take it off your shelf and, uh, and use it, it's a nonverbal to yourself. Exodus chapter 12. If you only brought a New Testament to hear a Jew talk about Passover. <laughs> what were you not thinking? All right, Exodus 12. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It should be the first month of the year to you. That's odd. 1500 BC, we're getting a new diary. Abraham's 500 years before that, we already had a diary, but now we're getting a new one. Uh, look, uh, Brits, if I ask you, when were you born? You'd tell me a date, not the year, but you'd tell me the date. And then if I say, when were you born again? You'd tell me another date, most likely. In the same way, Jewish people celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which is the anniversary of creation every September. 5,783 years ago. Take that, uni. Uh, but now in Exodus, we're getting a new calendar, not based on creation, but redemption. And we want to mark that. So this happens. It says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, say on the 10th of this month, the month is called Nisan in Hebrew, before it was a Japanese car. It was a Hebrew month. And so it's the month in which we currently are. On the 10th of this month, they're each to take a lamb for themselves, one lamb for each house. A house is too small for a lamb. They ought to share together. 
Yeah, you don't have to teach Jewish people to be community-minded. That's not what your gig is to preach. You've got other things to teach them, not... I mean, one lamb will feed an awful lot more than 2.5 kids, so share together in community. Verse 5, your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, take it from the sheep or the goats, keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. That's just harsh. I mean, really, think about it. Daddy, you go out to the back 40, get a lamb, bring it into the back garden, and you're there. You, Dad, are watching it, inspecting it for four days. But your children are not inspecting it. They're falling in love with the new household pet, which you now announce you're going to kill. Good luck with that. Look, there's no redemption without such sacrifice. Then, this is really sick, verse 7, Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Really? Okay, Stu wants me to tell you that next Sunday, for Palm Sunday, make sure you stop at Bunnings, pick up a bucket of blood, let's come back here and freshen up the place. <laughs> it's a little Friday the 13th, isn't it? A little holly, Halloween or something. It's just sick. Really? Paint the door with blood? But if you didn't, your firstborn's dead in the morning. We'll talk about that later. Then it says, you should eat it that same night, verse 8, roasted with fire, eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. That's the whole menu. Well, we've expanded it a bit. And uh, lots of, and this is just the, the representative things. My goodness, a Jewish meal. Oh, What's your biggest meal? Easter, Christmas? What do you do? It's the biggest. Multiply that times 10. That's a Jewish meal. And you get the guilt. You're not eating anything. Anyway, it's just, I worked for three weeks to make you dinner. Verse 11, you should eat it in this manner with your loins girded, sandals on your, how many of you girded your loins before you came today? Just, brother, put your hand down. Look, there's always a brother. Now, I've never worn a dress, and so I've never run in a dress. But from what I hear, it's not easy. And since the Pharaoh and his gang were going to come chasing the three million Jews in Egypt that night as we escaped, they wanted to run quickly and quicker. So what they did is they pulled a rope up in between their, they they wore gowns, robes, if you will. So they pulled up a rope in between their legs, tucked it and their cloak into their belt, And that's why some of your versions say with your cloak tucked into your belt, that's skirting your loins, so that that made trousers so they could get out of town quickly. Sandals on your feet. Middle Eastern men take off their shoes when they eat. Here he says, put them on because it's going to be more like drive through. Get out of town. In fact, it says, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. I'll go through the land of Egypt on that night and I'll strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I'll execute judgments. I'm the Lord. That's like signed God. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Pass over. That's where we get the word. So you think, well, of course. Moses goes up to, he goes up to his uh, sort of brother, Yul Brenner, and he's (laughs) just finding out who's of age. Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner, like you to meet. Uh, Moses goes up to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And, and after nine plagues, 
Now we finally get the opportunity to leave. So Moses comes back and reports this Exodus 12 passage to the Jewish people. The blood will be a sign. If you put the door, the blood, you'll be spared. Now you think, because Charlton Heston or Prince of Egypt or whoever it is that you watch looks like a mighty man of God that he would say, come on, put blood. And they all said, yes, sir. And they put the blood. But you haven't read the Bible if that's the way you understand. Look how they said to Moses, who made you the boss? That's almost a steady theme. Korach and his hundreds. Yeah, no. And Miriam and, and so much opposition to this 80-year-old Jewish guy named Moses, who then led us for the next four decades into the wilderness and out. No, turn right. No, it's all right. Moses does what he... Anyway, the, this whole business of following Moses, we think, because we've been misunderstanding, that we all complied. It's a miracle. See, I want you to think like this. I want you to think Moses looks more like Woody Allen or or uh, Adam Sandler than, <laughs> than Charlton Heston. Because it's no miracle if three million Jews follow Charlton Heston into the wilderness, but it's a miracle if even 30 Jews follow Woody Allen anywhere. <laughs> That's why the blood will be a sign is so significant. If we didn't put the blood on the door, because, eh, Moses, if we didn't. So the rabbis teach that it took one full year and nine plagues for Moses to convince the Egyptians to let my people go, and nine plagues and one full year to convince the Hebrews that Moses was our leader. So then he did, and then we got out, and that story continues. We'll talk more about this as we go through this, which in Hebrew is called a Seder. Can you say the word Seder? Um, Seder means order or order of service. And this same Seder is done, be it here in Newcastle or in Sydney, where I've lived, as you heard, for 25 years, or in Russia or Israel, wherever Jewish people are. And I'm going to try to draw out some symbolism that I think will mean a lot to you. And if you miss it, just skip it. That's okay. Uh, use your brochure if you want. Uh, you can get a DVD. You know what a DVD is? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's for the people who knew Charlton Heston. <laughs> there is a great divide in the church, isn't there? <laughs> immigrants and, what do they call it? Digital immigrants and digital natives. All right, well, this is, uh, by the way, this is the first day of 15 days of a speaking tour for me. And I'm going right up the coast. This is on the table up the back. I'm going to be in Caves Beach, Raymond, Raymond Terrace, Tuncurry, Tamworth, Tari, Port Macquarie, Surfers. Yeah, I'm going all every day speaking a different place. I'm telling you that not to boast that I'm driving a lot. Uh, who cares? Uh, that I'm speaking a lot. Who cares? But that I'm available if you have a mate or an enemy who lives in one of those places whom you think should hear this message. Pick that up after the service, give them a call, text, whatever you natives do. We light the candles. Actually, the mother of the house lights the candles with a special blessing. She prays and thanks God for the commandment to light the lights, <laughs> even, though, 
even though God never commanded to light light. But that's all right. Uh, prayers are useful. And she lights these. And she brings light to the festival of our redemption. I think it's fitting that a woman should light the lights. For it wasn't the will of man. It wasn't the seed of man that brought light to the world. But the will of God through the seed of woman. The true light, true redemption has come to all mankind. We drink from a cup four times. We only have one cup but it's filled four times with wine. Wine is a symbol of joy. Four cups of wine, that's a lot of joy. Um, <laughs> now, each cup represents a different aspect of the redemption that God bought for us in Egypt. The first is called the cup of sanctification, or the Kiddush cup. Baruch atadunai Eloheinu melech olam Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. We sanctify, that is, set apart this cup, this meal, even our lives to the Lord. Then my wife comes in with a pitcher of water, pours it over my hands into a basin, and I have clean hands. Just like an Older Testament priest would have done, at the time of the ritual slaughter, he would have washed in the laver. Jesus, the night of the Last Supper, laid aside these garments, poured water into a basin, and showed what a true priest would be, a servant of all. Now this is a Seder, and this, friends, is a Seder plate. It always has six compartments on it. The items that would be here, flat in the center of the table, or up here. Thank you to whoever it was who got all these together for me. Thank you. The first is parsley. Every member of the family takes a sprig of parsley and immerses it here into the salted water, and then we eat it. Yeah, it's not that good. Now the parsley represents life, our vibrant Jewish life in Egypt, and the salt water represents the tears that we cried as we waited for God to send his Messiah for us. Our life was immersed in tears. This was not a pleasant time. According to Exodus 12, Passover is a memorial feast, meaning a feast to remember. What are we remembering? That we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. You here at the granary are having a season of remember. And this is exactly what we are doing with Passover. We're remembering we were slaves. We don't say, woohoo, we were slaves. But we were slaves and God delivered us. You don't know joy unless you remember that from which you've been delivered. Now, next is the chazeret. I know it looks like an onion. If it was, sometimes you use a horseradish root, you peel it back, chop it, you know what'll happen. Your eyes will stream. Again, you'll remember the house of bondage and the suffering that that is or was to us. Then we get to the first of the three required items from Exodus 12, <coughs> freshly ground horseradish. Sister, did you get breakfast this morning? I just wanted yeah, no, no takers. All right. No, don't don't come up. Uh, you eat the this is the bitter herbs. We're required to eat with the Paschal lamb and I'll do it that night. I'm not doing it now. You eat this. You'll remember the bitterness of the house of bondage. My grandmother from Ukraine actually went to Ukraine this time last year and Poland to serve the refugees. And I stepped into Ukraine for the first time ever in my life. 70 year old man got to go into the country from which my grandmother came. And I remember we'd go to her house in Kansas City in the States and uh, she'd make her own horseradish 
buy it in a jar, what do you know? So she'd, uh, she'd grind it and pour in the vinegar and, and for about a block and a half, you knew it was Passover. <laughs> I loved my bubby. All right, then we take some of the horseradish and mix it here with this apple mixture called charoset. Charoset is a mixture of apples and cinnamon, some other, some nuts, some spices, some wine. It's really good, especially after the entrees. We've been eating this is really good. And it represents by its texture and color the mortar that was used as we made the bricks for Pharaoh and built the store cities, Pharaoh, uh, Pithom and Ramses. So it represents hard work. You ought to be thinking a question. Wait a minute, Bob, I can follow you with salt water and onions and horseradish representing the house of bondage, but now the good stuff represents the same? Eh, the rabbis have an answer. When you're looking today at what is, yes, life can be difficult, but when you look down the road and see your redemption drawing near, even the bitterest of labors can be sweet. Yeah, some of you buy it, some of you don't. All right, this is a hard-boiled egg. Sometimes it's scorched with the fire from the candle or in the oven. It's to represent the Chagiga, the special holiday offering that was brought every year while the temple stood. This was the lamb roasted with fire. Fire is emblematic of judgment. The lamb was judged with the judgment due us. Some kind of transfer occurred. More about that in a couple minutes. Then we drink from the cup a second time. This is called the cup of plagues. But before we drink from it, we take with our finger or a spoon 10 drops, blood, frogs, lice, you get it. We diminish our cup of joy when we remember the suffering even of our enemies. Think about those plagues with me for a moment. Nine of them could not touch the Jewish people. Here would be a Jew in light. Next to him would be an Egyptian in darkness. Here a Jew would have good water to drink. His Egyptian neighbor would have bloody. But the 10th plague was different. That was the death of the firstborn. That could have happened to the Jewish people. So God gave a commandment, in fact, a whole series of commandments. We remember it with this. The last item on the Seder plate, to me, the most significant item up here, this is the Zoroah, that is the shank bone of a lamb. Now we're told in Exodus to eat lamb, but most Jewish people in these days don't eat lamb on the Seder because we have no temple into which to bring the sacrifice. So we represent that system with the Zoroah, that is the shank bone. Let me rehearse it for you, if I might. The sacrificial system as we used it in those days, the father, remember the priest, would take upon himself, perhaps by means of a prayer, the sins of his whole family. He would, in a way, become sin. Then he'd lay his hands on the lamb and transfer or impute the sins from himself into the little lamb. Now the lamb became sin and the wages of sin is death, so the lamb has to die. He'd slaughter the lamb and collect the blood there into the basin, not a bowl this time, but the threshold of the door, one for each of the households of the Jewish people in Egypt. But it's not enough that the blood was spilled. He had to take a leafy branch, a bunch of hyssop, take the blood and paint it on the two doorposts, and then again the lintel, that's the top of the frame, from which it would splash back down into the basin so that effectively all four edges of the door were sealed from the angel of death who came through the land and would pass over. Kids, that's where we get the word Passover. He would pass over every house that had the blood on the door in the appropriate way. Now, I don't like symbolism for evangelism. I think there's a lot better way to do it. Um, I've got a book stall with uh, candles and oils as well as books and my testimony, lots of things. 
uh, that, that I think will help you uh, from today. A book by Randy Newman, not the musician, uh, but a Jewish believer, a friend of mine, uh, called Mere Evangelism. It is great. It'll help you with what to do here in Newcastle or wherever else you're traveling in sharing the good news of Jesus. I know that scares some of you. That's the book then for you if you're scared especially. But I don't think this is the best way to evangelize Jewish people is with symbolism. But for you who already believe, this is a powerful symbol. Watch my hands. The father took the blood and on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house, he applied the blood of the lamb, the pure, the spotless lamb, by which we were delivered out of Egypt. We received the law and went into the promised land. Isn't that what happened to you? Each one of you who's come to believe in and follow the Lord Jesus, he died on a cross much more wicked than we put on steeples or wear around our necks. And when he died, it affected the whole world. But it did not affect your world. Not until you took the hyssop of your own profession of faith and applied the already spilled blood of Jesus to the doors of your own heart. So you could be delivered from your own bondage, what the Bible calls slavery to sin. Receive the law written on your heart this time. Go into the land of all God's promises or the kingdom of God. That's taken the message of Passover personally. Amen? Now, that we tell this story every year by means of a book. It's called the Haggadah. You say the word Haggadah or Haggadah. Haggadah means the telling. It's the story of the Passover. It's like a prayer book with songs and prayers and Bible passages and four questions that the youngest child always asks the papa, then by means of the answer, the papa tells the story of the Exodus. So the child sings, Unleavened bread. Why is this night different from all other nights? Every other night we can either eat leavened or unleavened bread. Tonight, only get unleavened bread. If you had to eat this for eight straight days, you'd ask the same question. <laughs> well, the answer is simple. It says in, the, in Exodus 12, we've got to eat matzah, unleavened bread. That's it. So you do it. But there's more to it. Remember, we were slaves for 400 years. Moses comes home on the 10th of Nisan and says, pack up. We're leaving in four days. Four days after being in a place 400 years. Have you shifted lately? You know what I'm talking That's not enough time. So the women didn't have time to put the yeast in and wait for the bread to rise. They took the dough as it was, put it in the oven, pulled it out. It looked more like tortillas or pita bread than it did the big old puffy white bread of Da Vinci's Last Supper. So in the Older Testament, unleavened bread spoke of haste. In the Newer Testament, it speaks of sin. Some of you will know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to which I call you later. Now, I teach this to my kids by means of some Bible verses, as well as this symbol called a matzah tash. Matzah meaning unleavened bread, tash meaning pocket. It's really three pockets in one. One, two, three compartments in this one bag. Three, yet one. Don't get ahead of me. Now, at the beginning of the Seder, the middle matzah is withdrawn, sometimes square, sometimes round, always flat. It has stripes on it, which are not very pronounced here, but you can see them later. There's, uh, they're perforated. It's pierced through now in the manufacturing process. 
It's probably not the way it looked in the days of Yeshua, Jesus, but it is the way the rabbis require that it looks today. So like Caiaphas <laughs> will use their words. It's broken somewhat in half. Half is returned to the matzotash. The other half is wrapped traditionally in a white cloth. It's a new name called the afikomen. It's a Greek word, don't ask. Afikomen means that which comes later or he who comes later or leftovers. We play a treasure hunt game with the kids. Brits, is this one of your favorite things? Or the, it was yours, of course. And did you always find it? You tried to. Yeah, of course. Any other Jewish people here? Is it just us? Uh, so we'd hide it. Whoever finds it gets happy for a couple of reasons. One, it's fun to find anything that was missing. But two, because the rabbis teach that you cannot finish the Seder without the afikomen. It represents the lamb that was brought in the original Exodus. Therefore, every member of the family has to eat of this piece. You don't, we can't finish. So the kid finds it and he bargains or she bargains back to dad or granddad and we pay him off. Basically, we pay the kid. It's a way to win them for next year. <laughs> so some people say, well, what's, what does the matzotash represent? Is the matzotash three yet one bag, this middle piece, it's a ceremony, it's a, it's a little awkward. What is that? So some rabbis teach that the, uh, the uh, matzah, the, that the matzotash, the three in one represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. Some say it represents uh, uh, the Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael, the priests, the Levites, and the Israelites, the three divisions of the Jewish people's worship. Uh, but I think I see something different, and maybe you do too. You see, we took this three yet one, we took the middle piece. What would that middle be? Well, unleavened, no sin, pierced, striped, buried, brought back from his burial place. Hard to miss, I think, the Trinity. Hard to miss that unless your eyes are closed. But look at that. Isaiah said, by his stripes, we'd be healed. The prophet Zechariah said, we, the Jewish people, would look on him whom we had pierced, and we would mourn as one mourns for an only son. When they took him down from the cross, they wrapped him, if you will, in a white shroud and buried him from our eyes. And to most of my Jewish people, that's still where he is. Jesus, hey, he was a good man, he was a prophet, a teacher, a rabbi, just a man, though. The end of all men is death. The end of death is the grave. They, like you, believe Jesus died and was buried. Come on, Bob, finish the rest of that story. Without the rest of that story, you're a bunch of fools being here today. The Apostle Paul said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, you are of all men most to be pitied. And, he said, you're still in your sins. But you're not. Because he's not. Amen? Because he's risen, and that's what we're going to celebrate in a fortnight right here. Eight, nine, seven o'clock. I don't know what time. Just keep coming. Uh, and, and don't watch it at home. Just come together. There's something about being, you know, COVID was deadly for a lot of reasons. But doggone it, it ripped the church in pieces. And people preferred church in their pajamas. That's not church. That's, that's like watching a film. This is church. This is when we're together and I listen to you singing and I hear that I hear your grunting singing. I don't know, there's something about love that just says, I wanna be with you. That's community, that's, that's what we're called to. So he, was, he died, he rose, and, and he, he dwells within us as a community of faith.
that's historic, that's healthy, that's who we need to be. So even though most of my Jewish people dismiss him as still in the grave, <laughs> not so, his grave clothes were folded much better than that. The stone was rolled away from in front of his tomb, not so he could get out. Jesus had no trouble getting in and out of closed doors after the resurrection. That stone was rolled away so you and I could look in and see that he was risen. So our faith could rest in something substantial, verifiable, and true. And he was ransomed back to the Father for the price of his own blood and distributed to each of us who believes and partakes. After the meal, I buy the afikomen. He who comes later back from my kids, I break it and we eat it. Jesus took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the third cup. This is the focal point of the whole evening. Miss everything, but don't miss this. This is the cup of redemption. The cup that focuses me back on dripping bloods all over Egypt. You know, we were there 400 years. We were living in the land of Goshen. That's the little, it's the detention center where the Jews were slaves in Egypt. We'd been parked there. So all over Goshen, there were bloods dripping on the doors of Jewish homes. It was inescapable. You couldn't miss it. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now it's not the blood of lambs that's going to get one country out of another country. Now it's the blood of the Lamb of God that's going to take us out of sin and give us eternal life. Not only me as an individual, though that's still true, but usins, all of us together, the community of faith. It's not the assembly of individuals who don't like each other, the community of faith. This do in remembrance of me, he said. So when we take that, and this whole season you've been looking at, studying, listening to sermons on, remembering, remembering. It's one of the most active verbs in the Older Testament. Remember. How do you remember? You write things down. You have reminders on your phone that beeps and you forgot and it notifies you again. However you do it, you got a wife, you got a husband, the kids, they, uh, how do you remember? Use anything and everything you can to remember. This is what Yeshua instituted by which to remember his death and resurrection. It's the greater redemption. A few more prayers are prayed, a few more songs are sung. We get to the fourth cup of wine, the cup of Hallel the cup of hallelujah, cup of praises. If you understand you've been redeemed, you can't help but sing, oh, sing of your Redeemer and his great love for you. The disciples left the upper room that night, went to the Mount of Olives, singing a hymn. A couple more things to cover. I'm going to take a break for a moment and comment on Jews for Jesus, for whom also I'm here. Not very long. Would you take that brochure out one more time? And on the last page, you can see it's perforated. Just rip it off. Just go ahead. It's the only thing we let you tear in church. Go ahead, tear that off. We paid extra money for that perforation, so please use it. <laughs> I want you to fill that out with as much info as you want to tell me about you so that you can receive. Hopefully you'll want to receive Jews for Jesus information. Some of you 
told me earlier that you've been receiving it for a while. That's great. Just fill that out and we'll keep you. We won't send you two, but we want to keep we only want to send it to people who want to hear from us. That makes sense. You know, rates aren't going down <laughs> anytime soon. But we want you to get the newsletter. It's got stories of what we're doing around the globe, what we're doing in Sydney, evangelizing Jewish people. And one by one, Jewish people are coming to faith. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, it's not five by five. It's not a hundred. We're not thousands. One by one. And that's all right. Isn't that all right? Yeah, thank God. All right, so fill that out. If you want, you can use the QR code like everybody has done for the last three years. Just to shoot that photo on your phone and it'll take you somewhere that you're supposed to put some information in. You can pick up that flyer with all my tour stats. You can pick up uh, some books, especially this is my testimony. If you want to find out how a nice Jewish boy like me came to believe in the, the nice Jewish boy, came to believe in Jesus, that's the story right there. My grandmother, who was 96 when she got saved, you'll want to read hers. I put hers in the back of mine, too. All right, lots more um, donation. We're going to do that at the end of the service. And you can give by a square because who carries cash? We were talking before the service. Do you have cash? I actually have cash. I stopped at the bank yesterday in case somebody asked me for it. But I think I'll be gone for two weeks and maybe spend five bucks in cash. Everything is square nowadays. So feel free to use that to donate or to buy products up the back after the service. I'm going to show you a video, three-minute video of Jews for Jesus around the globe, and then I'll finish up. Jesus seemed like he could be the Messiah, but I'm Jewish. A person said to me, have you ever heard of Jews for Jesus? As a Jewish person, when I started to follow Jesus, people would question if you're still Jewish, if you believe in Jesus. What I wish someone had told me when I first came to faith in Jesus is that I could have a thriving Jewish identity and a thriving faith in Jesus together and not have to choose between the two. The reality is, all of the first believers in Jesus were Jewish. They saw him as the promise of the Messiah. I want to invite you to join Jews for Jesus as we relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. Most Jewish people in the world have never heard the gospel, and together we get to change that. You make it possible for me as a missionary to engage with not yet believing Jewish people and to tell them that God loves them. And in a sense, it's not really us doing it, it's Him doing it. We're just the ones who are carrying the message. Go and tell. That's what Jews for Jesus is best known for, is that proclamation of the gospel. Out on the streets, meeting one-to-one. -one. Come and see. And that is where we invite Jewish people to come into an environment, a community, a small group, a Bible study and they can see the dynamic of a vibrant community of Jewish believers in Jesus. Love and serve. There's so many needs. And so we go out there lovingly feeding people, even as Jesus fed and met needs, and it opens people up to the gospel. Through your support, we can show Jewish people how beautiful God is, how beautiful Jesus is, and how beautiful the gospel is. Every week around the world, Jews for Jesus welcomes new Jewish brothers and sisters into the family of Messiah. I'm so thankful for people like you who love the Jewish people and want 
them to see who Jesus is. If your heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, you're going to find yourself loving the same things that God loves. You're going to enter into His passion for His people. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we've been waiting for. All that the Jewish prophets have talked about, all that God has spoken to us, every Jewish person deserves to hear the truth about Jesus. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Come and see. Oh. Yeah, I applaud them. And it's, uh, it's great to be with people uh, who really love the Lord and want to see anybody and everybody saved. Jew, Gentile, we don't throw fish back. Uh, why are these pillows here for tired preachers? Uh, no, in fact, it's the fourth question in the Haggadah. Every other night we can sit up or recline. Tonight we have to recline. Why? Well, a slave has to stand and serve his master but a freed man can rest and be at ease. We who've been redeemed by the power of God in the name of Yeshua, we know this peace, don't we? It passes all understanding. And remember the night of the Last Supper, Yeshua, John leaned into the one who would be his redeemer. From this very comfortable place at the end of the Seder, the youngest child rises and goes to the door and opens it, not for anyone's uh, not for everyone. He opens the door for one particular person. We've got a cup filled with wine, a pillow, a place setting just for him. He opens the door for, and we have a cup for Elijah. You see, if Elijah comes right on his coattail, it'll be the one he's announcing. Elijah will say, Nachamu ami, comfort my people. Prepare for the Lord is coming. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Sound familiar? Jesus said, to those who can receive this, John the Baptist is Elijah. Luke said he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Here he was in the river Jordan, baptizing people for their sins. Over the hill came his cousin, he told his friend, stop what you're doing and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a weird thing to call your cousin. Here's the Lamb of God. I mean, nobody before or since had ever or has ever been called Agnus Dei. El Cordero de Dios, the Lamb of God. Why not the chook? Why not the giraffe? Because it was Passover time. And you announce someone as a lamb at Passover, you're not saying he's going to become prime minister. You're saying his destiny is death. Listen to those words. Behold, hine uh, in Hebrew, idui in Greek, it just means don't miss this. In Philadelphia, we'd say, yo, it's the same thing. The lamb of God, not a lamb, not my lamb's okay, your lamb's okay, multicultural, let's all get along with lambs. No, it's the, the one, the unique, the only lamb. You introduce someone as a lamb at Passover, you're not saying um, he's going to just hang out and you're saying he's going to die. The lamb of God. This is not man's lamb we vote on like we did yesterday in the election and say, go represent us in parliament. This is God's lamb sent down to humanity so we could be born again. Behold, don't miss it, the one and only lamb that was God's idea, and he's gonna die for you. And if you do that, John promises, he'll take away the sin, singular, of the world. 
What's that sin? Unbelief. And replace it with the only thing that'll ever help, and that's faith. He'll fill you with faith. My shoulders drop when I think that. My heart rejoices when I think that. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never been born again, you're here this morning, not by accident. I'm so grateful that you've been listening to me with kindness for this, this uh, segment of time, segment of the service. If you've never said yes to Jesus, right where you are, let me talk to you and say, behold, the Lamb of God. Don't look at what you're doing by the which you think you're religiously qualified to get to heaven. Behold what God did. And he'll take away that sin of your world and fill you with faith. That's all you need. That's all you need. You don't have to become a nun, though if you want to, that's cool. Or a rabbi, God bless you. But behold what God did and he'll forgive you. Let me tell you, that was the thing that was missing in my life as an Orthodox Jew. The assurance that I was forgiven and God in his kindness opened my heart to him. Behold the Lamb of God. If you are a believer, I hope that in a moment when, when Bev leads us with communion, that you'll take and eat and remember him. And one more thing, he said, as often as you eat this, you proclaims the Lord death until he comes. We're also remembering that this is not the end of it, that there's yet an end coming. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. That's why I'm still going that way. I'm still looking forward. I'm looking back to remember. I'm looking forward to rejoice in what God's going to do. Stu, thank you. And thank the team of the pastors and, and everyone who opened the door to let me come today. I am grateful for this opportunity to address you. I hope you'll pray for me because uh, this is my 44th year taking these two weeks before Easter and going to preach all over the place. I'm beginning to think it's a young man's sport. Can you pray for me? Thank you. And Bev, I know you'll do that later. And team, team called the church, please do that now and again. And maybe even in the long range, we got lots more programs and projects in Jews for Jesus worldwide. I'll let the newsletter talk to you about that in the months and years to come. Lord, bless this church and all that they do here in Newcastle and all the different locations where they are, the connect groups where they are, the people whom they're touching in so many different ways for the kids and the grown-ups and grannies and everybody in between for the men's ministry, for all the camps and all the stuff that is going on, for the stations and the, the Good Friday, for the Easter celebrations. God, for all that they're doing here in under the banner called the Granary, keep pouring out your blessings in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.